Welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so that you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, countless exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that thrives on you not really getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love, play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give you a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to get the top 10 world-class nutrition tips from the experts that have been on the show, and you will see what simple health can be. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 64. In today's episode, I interview creator of the Bombshell Formula and modern cave woman, Himmy Gonzalez. Be sure to stick around for the end of the episode to learn what freedom means to Himmy, the animals the best describe her, as well as her amazing vision for the future. Alrighty, guys, another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast today, and on the line, I have Himmy Gonzalez. Now, Himmy, first question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, tell us about your health journey in 10 sentences or less. Oh, boy. Um, hi, hi to everyone, and hi to you, and thank you for having me on the show. You're very welcome. <laughs> yeah, and um, I think my health journey has just been a process of self-exploration, um, that started with uh, the physical realm and then just really took me deeper into looking at uh, my mental, emotional, and spiritual, uh, the, the parts of me that, you know, were, I guess, troubled. And, uh, but, you know, the physical realm was the path that took me to the other ones. So that's what I would summarize my, my health journey as. And, and, and there's something else I'd like to ask. And, through that journey, I realized all the areas of my life that I was feeling disempowered in and that I was losing power to. And what I have learned through my journey of healing is that um, healing to me is learning how to call your power back uh, from different areas of your life that you've lost or you've given away, you've surrendered. <laughs> and what of those areas have you most recently uh, worked on healing really to call that power back into your life? Oh, well, you know, first, as I said, it was my health and it was, you know, just always giving my power away to people telling me what was healthy, what was not healthy, what I should do, what I shouldn't do. Um, and then starting to realize that uh, nobody is an expert in anybody other than themselves and that it is our responsibility and our duty to become aware of the things that work for us and the things that don't work for us. I'm not obviously against, you know, listening to generalized ideas, etc. But what I am for is always bringing it back to you and to your own body and see if, you know, those generalized ideas apply to you or not, rather than just believing blindly and just applying even if it's not working for you. And I did a lot of that. So learning that I had internal guides that were giving me messages, you know, such as my 
instinct, my intuition and my uh, innate intelligence, learning to listen to those uh, biofeedback systems that my body and my being were, were giving me was, um, was one of those tools that I used to call my power back when it came to my health. Then another area was uh, relationships and you know, I don't know if it's because this is how a lot of women are raised. I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I'm, I'm Latina. Um, but also we learn to give our power away to, uh, to the men that we're with and become who we think they want us to be. And this is not necessarily taught like this is what you do, but monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you just learn to imitate. And, you know, it's funny because I've actually you know, and working with clients and I've seen the way they talk to their children and stuff. And then, you know, they, it, it's like if you were hearing your own mother speaking, you know, but everybody's doing the same thing without questioning it and just kind of like replicating. And, you know, and I also started to notice this pattern with clients, especially females happens with males as well. Just the giving your power away to the other person and, um, and getting lost in relationships. And, uh, you know, I, I can see it also, at a political level where, you know, you think that you vote or you, um, you know, do something um, that, that you think is going to help, you know, but what you're actually doing is you're centralizing power in an institution and you're kind of washing your hands and going, oh, well, they'll take care of it. And the truth is that, you know, when you look at it, they're not taking care of it. They're taking care of their own needs and their own interests and um you know my political needs are not being looked after and they're not being protected so i feel that even at that level we've learned to give our power away and that has consequences uh, physically mentally emotionally spiritually and um you know and then we have the choice of seeing ourselves as victims of this or we can do what i've chosen to do i'm not saying this is the only path i'm saying this is the path i've chosen and it's like okay well i'm, I'm giving my power in this area what can i do to start calling my power back at all these levels and it's not one of those things that happens at once that you realize oh my god i've given my power away in all these areas but it's just like when you start realizing some things about one thing you start realizing oh, okay i do that here too oh and i do that here too and and very quickly you realize it's just a pattern and it's just like if you're like in a zombie like state and I use the word zombie because it's just so trendy now <laughs> but like in an autopilot just you know going through the motions with never even sitting down and and just really asking yourselves or asking myself oh my god like am I really living an experience that I want to live or am I just regurgitating everything that I have seen in my upbringing and in the people around me that give me a sense that I'm engaging in a social norm, you know, like I'm, that I'm being normal. And, and, uh, so, so yeah, so it, part of what's been happening with me is that I've sat and I've started to question a lot of different things in my life and, and just start owning responsibility. And, you know, and by the way, when I use the word responsibility, I know that that word has a negative connotation for many people. But like, for instance, what it means to me is responsibility is the ability to respond for self. I believe that when you give responsibility to other people to manage your life for you, you're always going to feel helpless and disempowered um, because you feel like you depend on those people for your survival. So it's codependency. I feel that by becoming responsible for myself, it makes me feel like I have the ability to respond for myself and that I can, um, I can parent my life. I can manage my life. I can, you know, make decisions for myself rather than, you know, feeling like a helpless child that needs other people making decisions for me. So I hope that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, that certainly does. Thank you for that. I, 
I've thought about things like that where it's, yes, it's responsibility for self, uh, but I love how you brought it into other realms of life too. It doesn't have to be solely with our health, our relationships. I mean, talking about just the political aspect of it, we're responsible for everything that happens to and around us really. So we, that, that responsibility, the ability to respond for self, I think that's, I think that's beautiful. I think that's uh, spot on there. And now I'm curious then too, because I know you're working on, uh, I believe it's the bombshell formula, right? And how does that apply or how do you maybe work into some of that uh, responsibility uh, and teaching that? I'm guessing it's part of the program, but if you wouldn't mind expanding upon that for us, please. Yeah, well, the Bombshell Formula is a project that has the purpose of uh, inspiring women to uh, reconnect with their power and with their inner authority. And um, basically, what it is is just an invitation to question everything. Because, you know, if, if we don't question, we're just pretty much obeying blindly. And that's called compliance. And when we don't question, we also can go into the other side of the coin, which is disobeying blindly, and that's defiance. And what I have learned is that most people spend their lives, and hey, I'm included in, in that, um, defying and complying, and um, not really ever making choices based on self. And then, you know, because we are making choices based on another person, because you see, the thing about compliance and defiance, as I've learned, is that when you comply with someone, um, that person is dictating your choices. And we think that if we defy, we are asserting ourselves and, you know, and we're making choices for us, you know, just because we're rebelling. But uh, that what I've learned is that the other side of that is, is that um, you're actually that person that was dictating the choices initially, you know, that you were complying with is also dictating the choices when you defy because the choice is made to either upset them or, you know, whatever, it's got nothing to do with you and, and your authenticity and what you want to do. And so I find that, you know, a lot of our relationships are, um, and this includes our relationship with food, our relationship with health, our relationship with, you know, partners, just every area of our lives is based around um, compliance and defiance. And I think that this is a path to um, sabotaging ourselves and uh, giving our power away. So through this project, you know, I, I like to uh, make women and, you know, men as well. Like the fact that it's a, prog uh, a program, you know, that speaks to women doesn't mean that it wouldn't benefit men. Um, it's just that that's the target. But um, it's all about inviting people to question and going into a journey of self-exploration at every level, physical, mental, emotional and spiritual. And I would present and offer some possibilities, but always inviting people to look at the other side of the argument so that they don't comply with me or defy with me or defy me, sorry, but so that they can come to a process of understanding by exploring different sides of the argument and then making choices that are right for them not to comply or defy. And I think that, you know, after working with people for 16 years, you know, when I can, as I assess, you know, uh, the root of many of, uh, of the challenges that, you know, I, I see my clients are facing or that I have faced. I find that uh, compliant defined relationships is definitely at the core. And like I said, it's, you know, it's one of the ways in, we, in which we lose power the quickest. So I believe that in order for us to heal, we need to reconnect with our power and we need to learn how to uh, recognize we're being compliant, we're being defiant. <laughs> Step aside. And I learned this from a wonderful teacher called John McMullen. 
sure if you're aware of him, but um, but that's one of the many lessons that I have learned from him. So yeah, so I, I'd love to pass that on, and you know, and and um, like I said, educate people about both sides of an argument. You know, like if I present, let's say, um, uh, something about food, I say, okay, well, this is my perspective, but be aware there's another perspective that says, you know, such and such, and go out and you know, and listen to both because I don't want to impose anything on you. I respect you as an adult, as a self-governing adult. And I respect that you have the intelligence to look at both sides and decide what's right for you that rather than having someone impose and tell you, well, I know better and I know what's right for you or what's not, which is, I got to say this, one of the things that is happening big time, you know, with, with our scientific community right now, which they think that everybody's stupid, nobody understands science and that you have to give your power away for, uh, to them so they decide for you. And that creeps me. Uh, so, it certainly does, yes. Yeah, I, I feel it's a violation at every level. And it's, the, it's a poster child for infantilization. You know, when you tell somebody that they're not intelligent enough or that they're not uh, cultured enough or they don't have an understanding of science enough to manage their body, what you're telling them is you're a child. I'm your parent. And I need to tell you how to live because... You don't know how to. Interesting. I, I I love the the perspective you bring to that because I, I think, like you said, right? You, you I I like the science example there because there's always this. Well, is there a report to back that up? Is there a study to back that up? And well, I'm I'm not a I'm, I haven't been in a report. I haven't been in a study. Like I'm different than all those people in there. So, yeah. like you said, it still comes back to questioning and. What, what works for you? Now, what is some, like, what is a question that you believe everybody should ask themselves? Or what is a very important question that you always ask yourself? Well, you see, the way that I see it is that, you know, like, just bringing it back to the topic of science, I think that everything has, you know, masculine and feminine qualities. And, you know, let's take the topic of nutrition, for example, you know, the masculine energy is very, very authoritative. Um, it's all about logic. It's all about reason. It's all about quantifying things. So let's measure this. Everything becomes a mathematical equation when the masculine is imbalanced. The feminine energy on the other extreme is more about qualifying. So it's a quality of food. It's about feeling food. Um, it's about connecting with inner authority, going inside rather than externalizing so much. Uh, I believe that, you know, both extremes can, you know, lead to issues. But I think that, you know, one of the things that I actually like to do is I like to navigate things from the realm of intellect and then navigate that intellect with my other tools, which are intuition, innate intelligence, and intuition, and just create more of a feminine-masculine balance um, as I navigate every single aspect of life. And science is no exception. What I mean by that is that, you know, I can see that they can be presenting research and scientific this and scientific that. But then if I apply that scientific research and that understanding to my life, or if I, for example look at the impact that it's having in my surroundings and nature, etc. then there's something inside of me that tells me this is not right. Should I dismiss it? And does that make me a science denier? I mean, sorry, um, should I accept it? And if I accept it, you know, um, you know, why, why do I need to be compliant? Or should I uh, reject it just because then that would make me defiant. But then if I look at both sides of the argument that I navigate with all my inner tools, my feminine and my masculine energy, my intellect, my intuition, my instinct, all these different things, then I can come to a conclusion and feel like, okay, well, this is right for me, or this is 
not right for me. And I don't feel like I should be bullied or judged for whatever decision I make that I feel is right for me. And I think that there's a lot of that going on because for some reason, you know, when it comes to food, like if you're not following somebody's ideas of food, then you're an idiot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I see this so much like in the vegan community and I see it in the paleo community and I see it in the, Hey, why can't we just sit there and go like, well, maybe that works for you. And that's great. You know, that doesn't work for me and vice versa, you know, rather than, you know, just trying to control and push people into doing what we think is appropriate and bullying them if they don't. I, I think that's the worst part and, and calling names and, you know, and the people that question, they, you know, they, there's labels for that. You know, you're, you're a science denier, you're a quack, you're a snake oil salesman, you're a, a conspiracy theorist, you know, I, I, the list goes on. You know, it's like this rhetoric that interferes and that, you know, it's, it's actually quite well designed and scripted to make people feel ashamed for questioning and ridiculed. So, and that puts people in a state of fear and it sends them back into that childish learned helplessness where they just surrender their power and feel more comfortable doing so because, you know, it's, it's a social norm and they will be more accepted than if they challenge it. So I don't know if that answers your question. I think that's a, a great thing to bring up. Like, just that always being uh, pushed into things or, well, there's like, but the other thing is there's no right and wrong necessarily. It's what works for you. And that's where, that's why all of those different diets and thousands more are so beneficial to so many people. And that's why they all have uh, books after them. That's why there are all these things that where people follow them. It's just, they've finally found what uh, resonates with themselves uh, and they haven't allowed others to necessarily bully them into uh, another way that maybe works for somebody, but not for them. Uh, yeah. Now you talked about though too, like getting pushed back into that uh, infantile state or even just uh, being a child and like being pushed down upon. What is something that you could learn from your eight year old self? Well, you know what? <laughs> and, and this is interesting because it's the, the theme that came to mind right away when you asked that, which I'm, I'm actually shocked that that came up, but it was the concept of freedom. Freedom. Yeah, freedom. I think that, um, you know, first, I think that no human should need to fight for their freedom, because that should be a given. But I think that as an eight year old, I, I think that that's probably when I started to become more and more aware of what the concept of freedom was and, um, and just really uh, start to connect with it. And or I should say, to experience what it's like when somebody tries to impose their way on you and uh, and try to control or take away your freedom. that I think I became aware of that around that time and that age. And like you can see, it's a, it's a big theme for me in my work. It's just about helping people reconnect with their freedom of choice, their freedom to be who they want to be. And, and uh, yeah, so those are the lessons from Hini's eight-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your biggest maybe uh, outlet for say freedom or creativity that you use in your life currently? Uh, I would say going inside myself. And how do you do that? What does that look like? Is that a, a daily practice that you use? Is that almost uh, maybe of a, an all the time presence for yourself? Well, the way that I would, I, I remember when I was younger, you know, like um, my parents protected me a lot. And this is why I'm talking about, you know, like, having freedom being brought to my awareness at such an early age. And I understand my parents were doing the best, you know, they could. But with that said, I, I was not really allowed to play out that much and stuff. Well, first of all, I was brought up in Colombia. 
um, during the uh, drug war times. And I lived next to the house of the American ambassador. <laughs> and um, they had just signed an extradite, um, a treaty to extradite the drug lords and they with the U.S., And uh, obviously that made them very pissed. And um, <laughs> and so it wasn't just the threat of the war, um, that the internal war the country was living in as a retaliation of that particular law, but also the fact that I was next to the embassy. So I, I wasn't really allowed to go out and, um, and play much. And um, so I would stay home and I would come and I would sit under the sun Uh, because Bogota, which is the capital of Colombia, is a pretty cold place. <laughs> and, well, obviously not cold compared to Canada and places like that, but, you know, we're, we're pretty much in the tropics or like in the, in the, in the, um, close to the equator where the temperature is quite high, but we're up in the mountains, so it gets a little bit cooler. Um, and, um, I would just sit there and I would just think. I would just be with myself. And as I started growing up, you know, I, I never lost that habit. And as a matter of fact, when I have too many things going on in my life and I don't have that time to sit with me and just have a conversation with me, um, I really miss it. And I really start feeling overwhelmed. And, um, you know, some people schedule time for meditation and, you know, and, and different practices. I don't particularly schedule these meetings with me, but going inside and, and just talking with me just makes me feel free, makes me feel like I can just say whatever, be, you know, whatever, just, you know, and, and by the way, I must say that it took a while to get to that point where I was able to say anything to me. But now I think I'm at that level where I can become much more compassionate to some sides of me and, and just listen to whatever parts of me want to say and just, you know, like process. So that, that makes me feel free. You bring up, I think, a great point there, and it kind of all circles back down to uh, the questioning everything, and it's it's being free to be with yourself, to listen to yourself, to ask yourself, whatever that may be, and it all just keeps coming full circle there. So I, I, I love where you're going with that and sharing just what that practice looks like for you. So, yeah. I mean, not being able to really, I guess, go outside a lot uh, when you were younger, are you... I like a really big fan of nature now. And maybe what is, what is it? What's the most beautiful thing in nature? What do you love to go out and see and explore now? Uh, it's funny you ask that. I'm a total nature lover and, you know, I don't know if uh, you're aware of some of my old products, but I had um, a character that I had created called the modern cave woman. And it was all about um, inviting people to reconnect with nature and uh, learning how to bring nature into their urban uh, environment And, you know, I still do that with the bombshell formula, just not dressed as a cave woman. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I have. But, you know, this is since I was even younger than eight. You know, I remember having this deep connection with nature and, you know, and can't remember how old I was when the Exxon Valdez incident happened. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember feeling, and, but I was a child, I can tell you that for sure. And I remember feeling such a level of rage that that had happened to nature. And I always had this awareness and this desire to protect nature. And, you know, interestingly enough, it's one of the things I do through my work is, you know, um, bringing awareness about, you know, the fact that mother earth is our umbilical cord. We eat, breathe and drink from it. And 
to the degree that it's sick, toxic and out of shape, we're, we're going to follow exactly the same fate. So, you know, you cannot, in my opinion, speak of health and dismiss the environment and nature and, you know, and just expect us to be healthy regardless of what's happening um, to that umbilical cord that is our planet. So, yes, I'm very much connected to nature and it troubles me and it hurts me deeply to see what's going on and to see the apathy. And, you know, I listen to the people that defend a lot of the uh, abuse that's going on, uh, the environmental abuse. And, you know, and I, I, I really, that, that's big time. Part of my spiritual work is to sit there and try to understand, you know, where they're coming from and what makes them, you know, have this uh, level of dislike, I would say, for nature or like see it like this, you know, dead thing that they can just, you know, come in and, and destroy without any consequence and without any feelings. So, yeah, so that really is um, is, is a big thing for me. And, and I love being in nature. I love putting my feet on the soil, on, on the sand, uh, in the water. My favorite place in the world is the beach. Any beach in particular? Well, actually, I just came back from, um, I'm living in the Dominican Republic, and there's ridiculously beautiful beaches here <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was in Punta Cana um, in this community called Capcana which is um, like a very private community and it has a beautiful beach called uh, Juanillo and uh, and I was there and I just kept looking at the colors and I just couldn't believe that this place existed you know in the same way that you know when I went uh, scuba diving in in the Fiji Islands where we were going to live before we moved here um, and I saw what lived under the ocean I felt like I was in the little mermaid or some kind of like you know cartoon um, it was just so surreal I could not believe the beauty and the colors and the life and you know and and everything and then you know when I go up in the mountains you know and and I'm surrounded by uh, birds and different species of uh, little bugs and animals and plants and you know and and to think that everything interacts perfectly with everything and that everything is there for a purpose and that you know it, it's just you know that to me is the definition of magic and you know and I just love being in that I, I really do like there's that's my favorite place to be like doesn't matter where but just so long as I you know as there's nature. Like I, I have the fortune of seeing the ocean from my apartment. Like all I see is water and, you know, and that every time I open my eyes, you know, or when I go into any room in my house and I just look out that window, I just get mesmerized and, you know, and then I get to see also the colors of the sky and how the colors of the water change based on the clouds. And you know, it's just, it's just beautiful, you know, no matter which way you look at it, it's beautiful. It's necessary. It's, you know, so in my mind, I can't fathom why anybody would want to, you know, harm it or, you know, maybe not intentionally, but, you know, how money motivates people to do things and, and to self-destruct, you know, it just shocks me. So yeah, you, I'm a tree hugger. <laughs> oh, okay. No. And that actually leads into what I was going to ask you is you talk about the plants and the animals and the trees and everything here. Uh, and of course the beach, I, that's tough to beat. Uh, but <laughs> What would you say, what animal or plant best describes you? Mm. Oh, it depends. <laughs> How about right now? Right, while we're talking right now, what, what would right de now, best describe you? 
I would say that um, I'm a combination between a lioness and a butterfly. And as a matter of fact, I didn't know, there was this product I put out and I was dressed up in a butterfly suit because, you know, that, that's just who I am. <laughs> so, you know, from cavewoman to butterfly to bombshell. Um, you just never know what's coming. <laughs> but yeah, the butterfly, I think, is is an amazing uh, creature. And I think it symbolizes a lot of, you know, my processes. And, you know, just first feeling very ugly and very, you know, like when you're going through your teenage years and you can't really, you know, you're not a child, you're not an adult, you're, you know, you're kind of like pubescent and <laughs> things growing and, you know, and then you just go into this cocoon, you know, and you're just like trying to find yourself and there's just this darkness and, you know, you're just rattling there and, you know, just wanting to get out. And then, you know, having moments when, you know, you get to expand your wings and, you know, and then you realize there's other parts of me that are still left in the cocoon, but oh my God, I can expand my wings here. And, you know, and so back and forth it goes. So I think that the butterfly is, is a very symbolic and, um, and, and is a creature that, that really speaks to me. And, you know, and you ask about an animal and a plant that I think that if you stand a butterfly somewhere, it can look like a flower too. So I guess, you know, it could also have like a, you know, that feeling like it's, it's almost a plant as well. Like it looks like a little plant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess with the camouflage that it has, that's that's part of what it's meant to do so that it doesn't get eaten by predators or anything like that. Correct. And there's plenty of them. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So, Amanda, are you are you studying anything right now? Are you reading anything, or or what is your current area that you're just kind of diving into with all of your passion? Oh my god. <laughs> well, you know, like uh, it's interesting because I have many different um, interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very interested in the in the topic of uh, food and uh, food politics obviously as well as uh, food as it relates to health. Uh, I'm very um, interested, you know, in, in exercise and I've learned so much also from my husband, from Mark Buckley, who's the founder of FMA. And, you know, he's just really broadened my understanding uh, of strength training. And, uh, you know, and I love uh, also his philosophy and the way he teaches where he feels like there's no right or wrong approach either and that there's an element of truth to everything and you know our job is to explore these different elements and then come up with what works for us um so yeah so strength training is something you know i, I have conversations about it every day with my husband so <laughs> what are you guys discussing anything right now or is there anything that you've really uh, kind of dove in deep with recently well, as far as strength training is concerned, no, it's just, you know, he's he's right now just launched in Australia level three, which is the first level is, is more about helping people understand, you know, qualifying people for lifting. The second level is more about uh, strength and conditioning. And the third level is really where you learn to bridge the gap between strength and conditioning and uh, orthopedic rehabilitation. And so, you know, he's just always presenting different ideas and we go through brainstorming sessions and, you know, so it's, it's, it's a very enriching process. And like I said, I've learned a lot, um, from, from doing that. But, you know, aside from that, you know, I'm also very interested in politics, but not in the conventional sense, <laughs> um, that, like geopolitics and, um, 
you know, and just uh, understanding, you know, how the pieces of the puzzle are moved around and how, you know, like, yeah, there's, there's a lot more than what meets the eye. And that just really fascinates me. Another topic is, you know, psychology and, you know, and how easily manipulated we are. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that if you ask me, what am I studying right now? I would say, you know, I'm just a, a constant student of life because all these different aspects pertain to life. And because, you know, through my journey, I've realized that I'm the CEO of my corporation, the corporation called Hemi, and that there are many aspects or many things that affect that corporation. And as the manager and the CEO, I need to be aware of all these different things. So, um, so that's why my interests are so diverse because I like to kind of keep my finger on the pulse on different, uh, topics that pertain to me and my well-being, and, you know, and, and give me an, an ability to manage myself better. So I'm a student of life. So if you're studying, uh, maybe history, who is somebody that you either really like to follow or like to read their work or somebody that you would love to have met in history? Um, Machiavelli. <laughs> okay. And what would you want to talk to him about? Oh, just really love to get into his mind, you know. I, um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think I'm fascinated by the development of manipulation techniques and because I think that this is really what has driven history. So uh, I don't think it's his, history is random. I think that... Like I said, there's a lot more to it. And I think that um, that understanding manipulation uh, can help us understand a lot more of our historic process. Because you see, the thing is that for me, history is not about repeating dates or events because I'm not even sure that what we've been taught is actually accurate um, or correct. I think that the way that I see history is more like uh, by looking at patterns, uh, patterns in the rulers patterns in the propaganda, patterns in the themes, patterns in the ways that the masses are controlled. Um, and, um, and that's how I see history. And, you know, I don't like watching television, but I do enjoy watching historical series like uh, Rome, Vikings, Brain, um, which is about uh, France and stuff. And they all have one thing in common, you know. Yes, it's different ages. Yes, it's different, um, you know, themes. But... I think you can bring each one of those characters into today's world. And, you know, and I think that they would resemble the people that are leading us, you know, and uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so the study of manipulation and Machiavelli, and, you know, I think that would be who I'd like to interview and, uh, and see where, you know, how his little brain operates and, you know, and what motivated him to, to do that work. So talking about the manipulation, then this has got me thinking, and uh, I'm just more interested now in your thoughts on it. Do you, if, if we all understood a little bit more about that manipulation now, maybe throughout history or just really, I guess, in any parts of our lives, uh, do you think that would be, or, or how would that benefit really us in help saving the planet? Like we talked about helping save, preserve uh, food, uh, the, the politics of that, just nature in general and how we're destroying it. Like would, would get that understanding of the manipulation help us to be able to really take control of ourselves and help shape the planet for the better? Yeah, I think that, um, the first thing that happens, you know, when people start exploring mind control manipulation and any of these different things, um, 
the first thing is people get very ashamed to question it because they are afraid of being called a conspiracy theorist. And like I said, you know, that is a very effective word. It has a lot of charge and people are terrified to be labeled with it. So if they get past the fear of that label and they start exploring and looking at other things. And the next thing that I think happens when you start, you know, triggering your, when your curiosity starts itching and you start looking at, um, at other things is, um, when you get past the, uh, the fear of being labeled a conspiracy theorist for just exploring another side of an argument, you know, and, uh, and looking into manipulation, then the next thing is, you know, I can't believe this is happening. And then another thing is I can't believe I've been so gullible and in such a state of blind obedience. And then after all that starts to happen, then you really start looking at, you know, the different sides of the argument and you start really questioning. And I think that if everybody built the courage to go through that process, I think that there would be like a massive, I, I, I don't know that I'm too sure about, you know, revolutions because I think they always lead down the same path of corruption eventually. Mm -hmm. But I believe that if everybody can have a revolution as an individual, then the collection of those revolutionized individuals, I think, would make the change rather than organizing a revolution, if that makes sense. Because people would start connecting with their inner authority, they would connect with their freedom. And, you know, and I do have to say this, even before questioning anything, the first thing that needs to happen, um, actually, funny enough, you do have to question in order to do this, but <laughs> it's healthier. You know, it's very difficult to question things when your physiology is out of balance because you're constantly in a state of um, not feeling very good and maybe fear. And then just looking into some of these things may cause even more fear and more anxiety. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just a process, you know, as you start balancing your physiology, you start, you know, looking at things from a broader perspective. You're, I think, less gullible. Um, you're more willing to look into deeper things and question and you know, and come to the realization that if you don't manage your power and you centralize it, somebody else is going to manage it for you. And that's just a reality. So we have, you know, it, I think questioning and going through that process gives people the option of, okay, I want to um, give my power away so that others manage it for me. And I will assume the consequences of that. Or I want to manage my power and uh, I will assume the consequences of that also, because everything has consequences, positive and negative, as I've learned. So the, the, the question is, what consequences am I willing to live with and which ones am I not? So Yeah, I, I, I think it's almost so simple when it comes down to that. Uh, just thinking about it that way, where it doesn't have to be going so in depth on things. No, you look at the consequences and you're gonna, you, you should be able to know uh, which ones you truly value and those ones that uh, are so important in your life that you're not going to accept consequences or you're only going to accept uh, maybe the positive con consequences that you influence upon it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I believe that, you know, it's, um, and, and this is why I don't like to impose things on people. First of all, like who am I to impose anything on anyone? That's the first thing. Second is, you know, I don't know what consequences people are willing to live with and which ones they're not. And so, for me to come here and tell somebody that they need to make a choice. And what if, you know, the worst case scenario acts out for that person or plays out for that person. Now I have to live with the fact that that person is stuck with some, with some consequences they don't like. And I kind of push them into them. I'll give you a perfect example. You know, like um, when I speak of vaccinations, I don't speak of vaccinations as a pro or as an, an anti-vaxxer. 
the way that I speak of vaccination says as the right to see both sides of the argument because um, there seems to be consequences uh, in both paths. And if the negative consequences were to manifest for an individual that I have said you need to vax or you don't need to vax, then I would live with the fact that I was the person that pushed that person into making that choice, if that makes sense. Although nobody can push anyone into making the choice, but if I tried to be bullying. So for me, a much better position is to just say, well, look, there's these two different sides and you're the one who's going to live with the consequences of the choice, not me. Therefore, I don't have the right to say to you, you know, uh, would you rather lose a child to, let's say, a potential neurological or other type of disorder versus would you rather lo lose a child to, you know, potential death with one of these infectious diseases, which I don't think is, you know, as easy for that to happen either. Mm -hmm. I've had those infectious diseases, but, you know, and then as I've looked into the information, I've made my choice, but my choice doesn't have to be someone else's choice. You know, and at the same time, I would not appreciate somebody trying to impose their choices and their conclusions onto me, you know, uh, and therefore I, I'm not going to do that to other people either. I can just invite to question. That's all. Because I, I like I said, I, I respect and I believe that everybody has uh, the ability to decide what's right for them. And like I say to you, like anytime I hear anybody trying to control and tell me what to do or what not to do, that always just raises red flags for so <laughs> it does, yeah yeah so especially when it's government telling me what i need to do with my body or not like that's unacceptable and this is irrespective of the topic because let's say today we're touching on on the topic of vaccines and that may be someone something someone agrees with you know like uh yeah well you know it's okay that the government pushes this because i agree with it but what if tomorrow there's another procedure that wants to be pushed onto you and maybe you don't agree with that procedure. <laughs> now, the government has the right to push whatever policies on you and violate your body with whatever they believe is right for you. And that is the case for vaccines and that is the case for fluoride and that is the case for any type of uh, medical intervention that is without consent. You know, we, we are adults and, and we the job of these, you know, institutions, in my opinion, should be to say, well, look, these scientists here are saying this, these other scientists here are saying that, and, you know, the choice is yours, you know, make your decision. If we make a wrong decision, fuck, we're humans. We make wrong decisions all the time, wrong, quote, unquote, you know, because everything always leads to some lesson. But, you know, what? what is this thing about trying to protect everyone, just like, you know, putting everybody into a bubble and, you know, not letting people experience consequence and what's up with this? So then, Hemi, what would be your vision for... Uh... I always ask a healthy future, but maybe uh, a free future. What would that look like for both yourself and maybe for uh, the world in general? Well, I think that, you know, freedom starts with the acknowledgement that everyone has a right to it, a birthright to it. The second thing is that in order for freedom to, um, to take place, I believe that we all need to be aware of natural law and we need to uh, build our lives around the concept of respect that includes respect for our natural resources and, um, you know, the fact that as living beings on this planet, we all need water, we all need sunlight, we all need air, we all need, you know, the nutrients that come from the soils through the plants or the animals, whether they choose to eat animals or not. I'm not saying what's right, but, <laughs> sorry, what's right or, or what's wrong. I'm just saying we, we need nutrients. And, you know, to respect those fundamental rights that every individual has and to just freaking leave nature alone, you know, like, 
Hello, you know, like if, if, like, look, the way I see it is coming from a third world country, you know, from an area where, yes, when you, when you're in a third world country, there are parts of your country that are very developed and industrialized and this and this and that. And, you know, um, and then there's other areas that are not. And so growing up and seeing the contrast and, um, and then traveling around the world and just seeing pretty much the same thing, you know, what you can learn is that, you know, and, and actually, you know, more recently having spent time in, in the Fiji islands, cause we were going to move there and going to like these remote islands where there's nothing, like nothing. It's just the island <laughs> and the people and whatever grows on that island or whatever seafood the ocean offers. And, you know, when you're in those environments and you realize that these people's ability to maintain their life is dependent on the health of that ecosystem and not just you know, the humans there, but the animals, the plants, everything, you know, it's just dependent on the health of that environment and the quality of the air and the quality of the, um, of the water, the quality of the soil. You very quickly start to realize, you know, what's really important for human life, you know, and the, the thing is that because we live in environments that are so disconnected, from that reality where we have our food in a supermarket. We don't even know how it got there. We have, you know, water that flows out of a faucet. We have no idea how that water got there or what state it's in, you know, but we just have everything given to us. We, first of all, we, we develop the sense of entitlement, but it's, it's an interesting uh, level of entitlement because I think that the entitlement that we should all have is entitlement to access to all our natural resources. But some people don't have an entitlement to that, <laughs> but they have an entitlement to modern convenience at the expense of those natural resources. And that's just fascinating to me. Absolutely. Sorry? No, I'm saying absolutely. I'm agreeing. That, yeah, that's, I, I love how you're framing that. Thank you. Please, please keep going. Yeah. And so, you know, like a, a self-sustaining community is a community that has everything there to sustain life. And you know what shocked me there? So you go to these islands, there's nothing on the island, but there is a processed food shop in the island. It's the only thing. And um, you know, you, you got to scratch your head and you go like, okay, so these people have the most amazing spring water. Like all of their food is pretty much organic. It just grows there on the island, like their fruits and their root vegetables, which is what they eat. And uh, the, their ocean is very pristine and very beautiful. Well, I don't know if we can speak of a pristine ocean in today's world, but, you know, as pristine as it gets. Mm -hmm. And these people have every, oh, fresh air, you know, like <laughs> you have, you have, everything there. And yet these people work so that they can buy processed food, you know, and that just has to mess with your mind. And then you, you look at the, you know, at the consequence and most of them are missing teeth. A lot of them are overweight, you know, and they're having a whole bunch of problems. And now a lot of them don't want to fish. They don't want to eat, you know, a lot of their traditional foods. They don't want to, you know, harvest and they just want to, you know, go and engage in other jobs, like travel to go work and then come back and, and spend their money on, on junk food. Like, this is what I tell you about, you know, like manipulation, you know, and, and speaking to them, like a lot of them don't want to eat coconut because they think that coconut is going to give them heart disease. The fat in coconut is going to give them heart disease. Yet you're happy. They're happy to eat margarine because they've been told that margarine and the vegetable oils are healthy, but their coconut oil is not. And I'm like, where are you guys getting these ideas from? And it's watching TV. And is this the only case in Fiji? No. Like if you go to South America, to Colombia, you see exactly the same train of thought. You know, and the disconnection from our ancestral diet, from from all these things. And then, you know, and the politicians selling the country 
to the big corporations. So they come in and they take our resources, our coal, our petrol, etc., and destroy the place in the process. And then they leave. So people, you know, they say they do this in name of, in the name of the economy because this is going to bring royalties to the place. I'll give you an example of my hometown. They're um, pulling petrol, uh, sorry, coal from that area. They've totally, you know, polluted the ocean in, in that particular area with coal. And they get like the country allegedly gets like millions of dollars a day in royalties. Mm-hmm. The area has not developed one bit compared to the amount of money that should be going into the country. They're destroying the area. And now a lot of the fishermen and the people that used to sustain their lives with the resources in that area no longer have that. So when this corporation leaves, the environment is destroyed, no more jobs. And on top of that, the people that used to be self-sustaining now cannot be self-sustaining because it's all destroyed. And they're relying on everything that the big companies, whatever it may be, brought into the place. Exactly. And now they're totally reliant on, you know, like these people in the Fijians, on buying food that's highly processed from these corporations. You know, so it's like, I I think that uh, traveling has been a blessing in that sense because it's just helped me, you know, because a lot of people just speak of the science and the research, but that's in a little lab, in a little Petri dish. This planet is much more than a lab in a little Petri dish. You know, and there's social, there's economic, there's political, there's health, there's environmental, all these different consequences to every choice we make. And and those things can't be navigated from people that are typically disconnected, locked up in a in a sterile lab. You know, I'm not saying they're not smart. I'm not, you know, like I'm, I think there's a place for that as well. But I don't think that big decisions can be made just from that perspective, because I think, you know, it just misses the big picture, you know, and how certain things affect everyone as a, as a collective. And, and I'm not just speaking of humans because guess what, you know, the animals that are out there, the plants, everybody else have, has a, a right to this planet and what's in this planet. That's my opinion, but surely corporations will tell you, and there's videos of this on YouTube that the natural resources are not ours, that they are a commodity that is to be owned by corporations and that we should pay for it. So yeah, <laughs> it's just like, okay. And People believe it. And I think that that's part of the manipulation. If we bring it out together, I think that that's part of an interference of, uh, with our freedom. And uh, again, that brings it back to all that. And I think that that's what happens when we give our power away to others to manage it for us. And uh, we centralize it in, uh, in these institutions that, you know, are not there to protect us, but are there to protect the interests of whoever is running them. There may be a few exceptions, but it's certainly not the Norman, based on what I've looked into in the last uh, 16 years or so. Well, Hemi, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned there and just a lot of freedom to uh, get back. Uh, now, I want to be respectful of your time. So one, one of the last questions I always ask people who come on the show is, who would you want to hear on this podcast? And what would you either want to ask them or hear them talk about? You know, it's it's sad that this lady, I don't know if she speaks English or not, but this is a lady that was kidnapped in Colombia. She used to be a politician and she was kidnapped for six years in the jungle with the gorilla. Mm-hmm. And um, she wrote, uh, like maybe four days ago or five days ago, I read it. I posted it up on my on my wall. She wrote, I don't know if I should call it a letter, a uh, you know, uh, like a write a document, mm-hmm. a document speaking of forgiveness based on her experience in the jungle and 
how she could see that the gorilla were also prisoners of the jungle and how just like she had been stripped of her humanity, these people had been stripped of their humanity as well. And just the way that she made this whole reflection and introspection about the war, about how she was stripped of her of her humanity, but how those people were stripped of their humanity as well. And that's why they were there with her, but playing a different role. And, you know, again, this brings us back to the, to the whole manipulation, you know, and, and how they've gotten these children to kill at a very early age and disconnected them from, their, from themselves and, you know, and how they're trapped there in that life that maybe they wouldn't have chosen if they, if they would have um, had choice. But just the way she wrote everything and the way she processed it, it was just so deep and so genuine. And I think that reading or hearing from somebody that had ha- that has had that kind of experience um, and with that experience has been able to forgive or at least consider forgiving after everything that she went through. Like that would be somebody that would love to hear on this interview. And, you know, and it, it may seem, you know, like, well, what does this have to do with health? Well, you know, if you listen to many of the people that speak about health, they will tell you that a prerequisite to health is forgiveness. And so if we can have somebody who is some steps ahead in the journey of forgiveness, because she has, you know, been pushed into that situation and chosen has, and has chosen that path other than resentment and revenge and anger. I think that that is somebody that uh, we could all learn a few things from and um, for our health and for the health of the planet, because I think that this planet is really wounded. And I think that one of the things that needs to happen for um, all these things to take place is, is forgiven, you know, and, and like I say, I, you know, I, I hear these stories about these corporations and, you know, their level of greed and, you know, and just all these things that I mentioned, but, you know, if I slap onto them, what I read from this lady saying how, you know, the oppressors are also victims, you know, it just kind of puts me in a place of more um, compassion to them. It doesn't mean that I should agree with their behaviors. It just means that it can make my processing of these things that happened around the world a little bit. Um, I, I can have more understanding for it. I, I guess that's that's what I could say. And I think that we all just need to be understanding and, and, and know that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're a CEO from a corporation destroying the world, if you're a child, if you're, you know... Um, a girl that's important, you know, whatever it is, uh, or if you're a politician or, you know, just the mother, everybody is looking for the same thing, which is respect, to feel respected, to feel loved, to feel valued and to feel appreciated. And I think that, you know, as we start um, giving those things to ourselves, it'll be easier to, to give it to other people. So I think that all this begins with questioning. And questioning the way our life is right now and, and uh, what are the possibilities where we could go if, if we started changing things in ourselves. And, you know, uh, I, I don't want this to sound cliche, but, you know, a genius song is, is uh, Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson. And, you know, it's just timeless. And I, I love it. I know he didn't write it. I, I don't believe he did. But, you know, the, just the message there is, is powerful. And that's why I say, like, you know, the way I like to feel free is going inside myself. And uh, because I like to take a good look at what's going on inside of me. And I think that that man in the mirror song is, you know, is, is, is an invitation to do just that. It starts with us. We can't change anybody. All we can do is change ourselves.
There you go, everybody. I mean, <laughs> I'll make sure to get that uh, the document or the letter uh, in the show notes so everybody can go check that out. Uh, yeah, like to say it's in Spanish. It's okay. in Spanish. Um, I, I was actually even thinking of translating it. I've got so much on right now that I don't know that that's going to be a possibility. <laughs> but if there's anybody that does speak Spanish, just go on my wall and, and the article is there. And it's it's just the best thing I've ever read in my life. And I've read you know from a lot of spiritual teachers and stuff. And, and this is just actually reading it being put into practice is just magical so yeah <laughs> well i've been studying spanish recently so i'm gonna have to at least uh see if i can read a little bit of that but sure. in, <laughs> in closing where can our listeners find more about you what everything that you're working on from the bombshell formats everything else that we've talked about here where should they go to connect with you and find more of what's going on Okay, so on Facebook, I have my page, which I'm just starting to grow. It's Himi Gonzalez. Sorry, um, Bombshell Formula is my Facebook page. And um, then I've got um, my Facebook, which is Himi Gonzalez. Then I've got my Instagram is Himi Gonzalez and my Twitter is Himi Gonzalez. The things I post most on are Instagram and, uh, and Facebook. And my website is coming up along with my book, that uh, I'm releasing soon. It's called Seven Body Basics, The Beginner's Guide to the Bombshell Formula. Yeah, and it, it'll be food for thought. <laughs> the book. Well, we'll have to make sure uh, put links up when that all comes out so everybody can go check it out. Then. Thank you, Hemi. Thank you so much. Well, thank you again for everything that you've uh, shared with everybody here. I think that, that freedom uh, is something we all have to go uh, seek in ourselves, question, just start questioning things, seeing what works for us and... Uh, I think it'll certainly help to make this world a better place. So, Timmy, again, thank you so much for all that you shared today. Thank you for inviting me and for um, giving people a voice to um, share their perspective so that your audience can, you know, assess what works for them and what doesn't. That's very important. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to get your top 10 world-class nutrition tips from the experts to help you simplify your health journey. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Also, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment and a five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others.